you guys hear me talk about my journey, my marriage, the things that I've learned, the hardships that we have faced, and the reconciliation process that we've gone through. And I hope in some way that it's helped. But today I have a super special guest who's going to share her journey and the things that God has taught her in her marriage and in her identity in Him. And her name is Katie Thornhill, and she felt the Lord calling her to share her story through podcasting and started the podcast Anchored in Always and the Facebook community as well. She just recently completed her training to be a certified Christian life coach for women struggling in relationships, grief, loss, and with their identities. She has a passion for using her story for God's glory to help others find restoration, healing, hope, and a deeper relationship with Jesus despite their circumstances. I am so excited to have her on the show. Make sure you go grab a cup of coffee and get ready because here we go. This isn't a game of ding dong ditch and don't worry, I'm not a solar panel salesman. I'm just here to see you friend. Whether you have spit up stains and cluttered counters or you're still in your heels from work and just getting dinner started, take a minute and come sit with me. Welcome to the JAR podcast with your host, Lydia, certified teacher, homeschool boy mom, oh Lord help me, and marriage ministry leader, bringing you tough lessons from my own journey to soul health and wholeness. Together each week, we'll discuss our struggles, pain, and shame. We'll combat labels and lies with biblical truth, and we'll work through our mess and come out stronger, more confident, and rooted in our identity in Christ. So move your pile of laundry over. Better yet, let me help you fold it while we talk. Thanks for letting me in. Now let's get real. Katie, thank you so much for coming on to the JAR podcast. I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I follow you, you follow me, and I think that we have enough similarities that I just, we already feel like we're connecting. We just talked about about that earlier, how we feel like we know each other. And I feel like my listeners will definitely learn from your story and your journey. So will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, definitely. Um, Thank you so much, first of all, for having me on your podcast. Um, I know we've been trying to get this lined up for a little (laughs) while and just your schedule and my schedule, it hasn't worked out, but um, I'm excited to be here today. Um, And we do have a lot of similarities. Um, It just really fits like your podcast and and the message of your podcast really fits um, with mine as well. So I I love that we can kind of collaborate together. Um, So yes, as you said, uh, my name is Katie Thornhill. Um, I live in Clarksville, Tennessee with my husband, Josh. Uh, We've been married almost 18 years, completely by the grace of God. We should not still be married today. And I'll go more into that later. And then we have three children. Hannah is almost 16. Um, she'll be 16 next month. Um, Isaac is 13. And our youngest son, Marcus, would have been 10 in July. Um, but he passed away after a two-year uh, battle with brain cancer, just shy of his eighth birthday. And that was um, just about a year and a half or 18 months ago um, that, that he passed. So I was a dental hygienist for 15 years prior to Marcus getting sick. And that was what I did for a living. And then once he got sick and I couldn't work, I started doing some multi-level marketing and um, just that I could work from home and care for him. Um, and that was really wonderful. And then as I, as he continued to get sick 
you know, and that the disease was progressing. I was very open and honest on Facebook about our struggle as believers and watching this, you know, um, happen with our son, even though we were praying and believing that God would heal him, he was still declining. And so I was very vulnerable um, and did a lot of live videos and kind of a community came around and grew from that. And so after Marcus passed, I really, um, at the request of a friend, Heather Shriver Burns, I don't know if you know her, mm -hmm. um, but she um, she encouraged me to start a podcast because she um, we were talking one day and she just said, you have a story to tell and it's a painful, hard story, but but people need to hear it. And I know that you're open to sharing it. And I think a podcast might be a great platform for you. So that's kind of how that all started. Um, and it's been a huge blessing to be able to minister to women, even through my grief now and, and our suffering it's, it's, it's just been the path that God has had and it's helped me in my healing as well. So I'm just, I'm so thankful. I'm really glad that you decided to walk down that path of creating a podcast because you're right. So many women need to hear that message. And it's, it's often the tougher ones. Like I referenced with mine in a different way and you have with yours that it's not something that we initially would have wanted in our stories and we would rather not experience that pain, but it's something that we have experienced God's presence in and we just, and the hope that's come through it. And I feel like so many more people need to hear that. So thank you for just walking in obedience that way. I want to jump into sort of the beginning of your marriage. A lot of my listeners are married or separated or divorcing. Some might still be single, but um, any of us that have been married for more than two seconds know that marriage can be difficult. So but it often doesn't start that way. So can you share a little bit about the beginning of your marriage, how you guys met and sort of the coming into marriage, what were your expectations surrounding your idea of marriage and how did that play out? Yes, yes, definitely. I am a little bit older than Josh, just a couple years older than him. And so I, uh, we met when he was a senior in high school and I was in college and it was at the YMCA and he was, I was teaching private swim lessons and he was working at the front desk. So I would come in and I'd see this big strapping, strong, handsome young man. And I just was trying to get his attention, but he was really shy and um, I could not get him to make eye contact with me. And I just kept laughing, like, come on, like, just look at me. And um, it was really cute. And then finally one day, you know, he did. And I jumped on it. I was like, Hey, would you like to come to church with me? And he said, um, yeah, I, I don't currently go to church. Is that okay? And I'm like, well, yeah, definitely. Like even more so like come to church with me. So we started going to church together and, and dated it, it. Well, we didn't really date. I, I had this kind of little firm rule that I didn't date unbelievers. So I, I, I wanted him to be, <laughs> become a believer. I was praying like, God, please. And um, so we, we hung out in group settings uh, for a while. And then he did call me when I said he gave his life to the Lord. And I was like, game time. Yes. Okay. So let's get married. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, but we dated for about five and a half years after that. He went to Michigan State and played uh, football. He was highly recruited, um, captain of the football team. He you know, right from the beginning of our relationship, I think I had really unrealistic expectations of Josh. 
I knew that he was a young believer, a brand new believer. And I had been a, you know, a believer for most of my life. My dad was a pastor and I had a very close relationship with my my dad and kind of um, maybe idolized him a little bit too much, like put him on a pedestal. And so I had this expectation that once we got married, Josh would be the head of our household. He would be the spiritual leader of our home. And he would just kind of naturally move into that role. And that was not fair to him. I did not give him the grace to grow in his relationship with the Lord. So that put a lot of pressure on his shoulders, just maybe feeling like I'm never going to be what she wants me to be or what she thinks I should be. And so that was, that was very, very hard. And then there were also some hard uh, trust things in the beginning that later I, you know, in counseling, I found out he, he struggled with a lot of insecurity, the way that he felt security was in attention from women. So here he has this wife who um, is putting all this pressure on him and he's feeling like he's not measuring up. So it's easy. Um, and not that this gives him an excuse for, you know, making bad decisions, bad choices um, or breaking trust, not in any way. What it did do was, you know, anytime another woman would give him um, praise and he really wanted that for me, but he was getting it from other women and he was kind of like enjoying that and needing that, craving that. Um, and so there was, you know, early on, just some, some broken trust, not in the form of an affair at this point, but just, you know, emotional relationships or texting inappropriately, things like that. Um, and so I, I want to say that our relationship really right from the beginning has been a battle. It, you know, like the fact that we're married 18 years in June is, I said earlier, a miracle because I feel like we've we've been facing hardships from the very beginning in our marriage, some of it our own fault and some of it just circumstances of life. So, well, first of all, crazy, weird, like we're twinning here because I'm a chaplain's kid. I'm older than my husband by like a year and a half, almost we dated for five years. I put undue pressure on him for similar reasons, comparing him unknowingly to my dad. And just like, as you're talking, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's us, that's us. <laughs> um, so my question is, cause maybe you didn't take as long as I did here. When did you start to notice or understand your part in this dynamic with putting pressure on him and him responding this way? Was this something that you kind of you knew about yourself or you really just didn't see it until later? Um, That's a good question. Yeah. Honestly, unfortunately, it took a really long time for me. I felt like the problem, like he was to blame. Like if he would just do what he's supposed to do to me, it just made sense in my mind. Like, like just do it, just do the things that you need to do. Like go, you know, do the Bible studies, lead the men's group, lead your family for the love. Why is it so hard? You know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of grace for him. Um, I was very, uh, honestly, self-righteous and a little bit legalistic early on in my life in my twenties, like there's right and wrong, good, bad, and there's no in between. And I, I wasn't, I didn't show a lot of grace. And so I did not, I was very much in denial about my part in it. And how I stepped out of denial was honestly through the, the program that we run now celebrate recovery. And that didn't come till just three years ago, four, well, four or five years ago, really when I started my journey. Um, and that was after Josh had been started going to CR and I noticed a change in him. 
And then I wanted that. Um, I wanted what he had. I was jealous. And so I started going. And it was when I was starting to do that work, do working the 12 steps, not for drugs and alcohol, but um, when people think of recovery, they think of drugs and alcohol. Um, but I was going to CR for anger, anxiety, codependency, body image, some of my own personal struggles. And I was applying the same 12 steps to my struggles as Josh was to his of drug and alcohol abuse, um, mm -hmm. lust, infidelity, and, and other things. They were completely different than my issues, but at the core are the same things. Right. And um, as I stopped trying to fix him, control him, change him, and realize that I have my own character defects. I'm a sin sinner in need of a savior just as much as him, that at the focus was off him and on myself, who I, I could only control me. I couldn't control him. And so there was such freedom in that. And I drew closer in my relationship with the Lord as Josh was drawing, drawing closer to his relationship with the Lord. And that's when I really started realizing my heart broke for him. That's when my heart broke for him for the first time. And I realized how unfair that all that pressure was that I was putting on him when I um, was just as much at fault in my own ways. Um, so yeah, that's where it started. Well, thank you for admitting that. Um, I know from personal experience that journey is not easy. Um, and maybe you can relate to this as well, that sometimes when the other person's sins are more out loud, more obvious to other people and to the family, it's harder to understand our part because no one sees that bitterness festering in your heart. No one no one hears the anger, the angry thoughts in, in your mind toward your husband, and they only see his things. And so, at least for me, it was a, a facade of perfectionism, even to myself, not understanding all those little, little things coming out that, you know, also aided in causing that division. And when I became aware through our program that I've mentioned before that's similar um, called re-engage it taught us to draw the circle around ourselves and fix everything in that circle and most people come into a setting like that going no he's the problem or no she is the problem but really when you watch somebody work through that that person wants to go fix themselves and it, it's it inspires the other person to grow as well did you walk through something sort of similar where that journey of understanding these things about yourself was kind of eye-opening. Yeah, definitely. The, the programs sound very similar um, mm -hmm. for sure. That's definitely what it was is, you know, for years we would, what I call like wear the mask, you know, fake the bunk. Like we'd show up every Sunday to church, probably arguing the whole way there. Um, and then come in the front doors looking like this perfect family with these three beautiful children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, he's got a great job and I've got a good job and we're just happy. And nobody knew what was happening in our private lives. Nobody knew that he was spiraling out of control with drug and alcohol um, addiction because he was honestly a very, um, like, what's the word? I'm I losing the word right now. Yes, a functioning alcoholic, um, an addict, and 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 so behaviors were like later in the evening. You know, even after the kids went to bed, which I'm glad for that because I they didn't really see that side of their father either, but I did. And like you said, um, it was easier for me to stay in denial about my issues because his were so obvious and out there, and they were you know more destructive from an a tangible outward sense. Like we were mm -hmm. losing money, you know, and he 
ran into a mailbox at one point and there were things that it was easier to blame. Um, if he would just stop doing this or do this and do that, then everything else would be fine. Um, then our marriage would be great. Then our lives would be great. And so, yeah, I spent a lot of years blaming him. And what really changed was when he came back from treatment, he did end up hitting rock bottom and um, going away for three months uh, for treatment. And uh, when he came home, he was clean and sober, but more than that, God had really grabbed a hold of his heart in treatment. And then he had to start going to meetings. And one of them was the Celebrate Recovery. And the, the way that I knew was he had changed, like everything that I had been praying for happened and I still wasn't happy. Like I, God answered my prayer and Josh was being restored and redeemed and he was being healed. And I was jealous and angry and bitter. There was this feeling of almost like, that's not fair. You don't deserve to feel that way. I should feel that way. Cause I'm the one who put up with all of these, all these years. And that's when I knew um, there's something with me that needs to be dealt with because here he is doing exactly what I wanted him to do. And I thought all these years, if he did this, I would be happy. We would be okay. And we weren't. And it was because I realized I needed a heart check that I had some issues that I needed to, you know, surrender to the Lord. Um, and so that was very eye opening for me. But I love the way that you phrased that, that it was, well, first of all, when you said it was easier to blame him, but then when you realized he's healing and he's happy and I'm not, why not, you know, for a, a small portion of our marriage, that what you said about Josh applied to me, I was the one that hit rock bottom and then started to heal. And my husband still lived in that place of bitter anger while we were on the way to divorce papers and everything, and then separated for seven months and longer physically. It was the slow, wait, why are you healing? And how are you healing? And how are you whole again? And how are you, but I'm still angry at you. And that dynamic of, okay, I see the transformation and watching that firsthand, watching that honestly miracle, because we know, you know, it's, it's often the spouse that knows that is only the work of God, because I've spent years trying to get you to change or, you know, and that's really a testament to how we all can be transformed um, and how we all need it because it's that self-righteous pride that often prevents that from happening. And that was the same for me. You know, it's hard to see that in yourself. So first of all, I'm very happy for you guys that it's come to that because it's not an easy journey. But one thing I shared on, on another podcast recently that I want to come back to is this image of a triangle. And you sort of already said something about this, that your heart broke when you realized your part in this, but the image of a triangle when you're both working on, so you're both at the, the bottom two corners and God's at this, at the top. And when you're working on your individual relationships with the Lord, you're coming closer together. And when you're not, you're pulling away from your spouse and farther apart from them. So how did that realization come as you started to see his relationship with the Lord heal? Did that pull you up from where you were and cause your faith to grow? Yes, definitely. Um, I think I remember as I was watching him change and just this light in his eyes, I remember sitting down on the couch and, and jokingly, probably sarcastically saying to him, 
uh, do I need to be addicted to drugs and alcohol to go to CR? And he just laughed and he was like, no, babe, it's, it's for anybody with a hurt habit or hang up. So he's like, basically you have a pulse, you need it. Like we all have struggles and issues. And he's like, so only a third of people that come go for drugs and alcohol. And I was like, really? So I was like, okay, the light bulb kind of went off. I'm like, I can do this too. And so I started going and And as I worked the steps for my issues, what I found was that uh, I had had some childhood trauma that um, I, I really had kind of buried somewhat and just was so busy. Like there was a lot of chaos in my younger years, you know, with my parents divorcing young and just some things that had happened in my childhood that were chaotic and out of my control. So mm-hmm. as they were out of my control, I think that just switched something off in my head at an early age that I have to control everything. Um, I have to, um, I don't want to live like that. And I don't want my family to be that way. So I am going to just control, control, control. And as we all know, you can't control people and you can't control circumstances often in your life. And so it took some really hard situations in my life. Like when I found out about the affair and I remember sitting across from Josh and almost feeling like I had to talk him into staying with me because even though the trust was broken, I I didn't want a a divorce. I wanted us to try to work it out and get counseling. We had Hannah at that time who who was maybe six months old. And so I didn't want her to grow up, you know, um, in a single parent house or however. And so um, I remember sitting across from it. And and then I just realized that was the first time I realized um, that I had no control in this situation, that Josh was going to do what he was going to do, regardless of how much I begged, cried, pleaded, um, threatened that ultimately he was going to make a decision and it was going to impact my life and Hannah's life. Um, but there was also at the same time, this still small voice, this, this piece that was like, I've got you no matter what he decides, I've got you. That was that first time. And then the second time was with the drugs and alcohol. When I realized that he was spiraling out of control. And again, I must be a stubborn woman because I went to me trying to fix him and I yelled and I screamed and I shamed and I, threatened and I did all the things within my power to try to get him to change and I couldn't want it more than him he had to come to that place where his pain was greater than his fear and he was ready for change and luckily he did and um but and then when we got through got into recovery that's where I learned those steps where you step out of denial and you recognize your powerlessness and but you recognize that that God has the power to help you recover. And then he wants to, that he loves you and wants a relationship with you. And so I started to just cling to that. And I really feel like God's timing was so perfect in all of that because Josh had recovery and I had recovery before Marcus was diagnosed with the cancer. And I don't know how we would have walked through that two years of watching our son decline and ultimately die from this disease. Um, if we both hadn't been in a uh, much better place spiritually, emotionally, and in, in our marriage. Um, so, but I know that God knows, you know, he knew what was in front of us and he knew the outcome and he provided what we needed during that time. And that was for us, recovery was the tool that he used um, to get us close to him and close to each other. It's often the hardest work that prepares us the most that we don't see at the time as an opportunity for growth or why it's happening, but it's, I think you hit the nail on the head because he's preparing us for something. We don't know what's coming up when we surrender to that process 
and that digging deep in ourselves and supporting each other through those journeys, it's not for nothing. It's for, you know, wholeness individually in your marriage and then for any future things. Because once you walk through one hard thing, it's typically not the only hard thing you're ever going to go through, you know, and it's strengthening you. And I wanted to come back to something you said when you were watching him go through this addiction, I can relate in the sense of, I feel like my control freak comes out when I'm actually afraid. I'm, I'm afraid for him. I'm afraid for what it'll do for, to him, whatever the circumstance is. I tend to go into control mode and fix it mode when I feel like I'm just afraid for what he's going through and what it's going to do to our family. It's going to rip us apart or you're going to decline in health. Sometimes for me, that centered around the fact that my husband walked through cancer 16 years ago and he's healed. But anytime I sort of see any sort of health related thing, I go into, oh no. (laughs) So that's still ingrained in me to respond that way. But um, it's fear-based and I don't like to cry or admit weakness or um, any sort of sign of fear. So it comes out as, you know, I want to control everything that you do. And, but surrendering to what you said, trusting the Lord to work in the other person individually is all that we really can do because there's just no way for us to fix each other. Right. Right. Yeah. I love that Lydia. Cause um, it's funny that you say that because I just spoke at a women's conference yesterday and I shared something around that because my podcast is called anchored in always, you know, that you're anchored into Jesus in the storms of life, marriage and loss is kind of the tagline for it. And I've added always like we're anchored in always, because whether it's, it's good or bad going on in your life, like you have to anchor into Jesus in the good times and the bad times, no matter what the outcomes are. And what you were just saying, I was describing to these ladies as, you know, when we're going through hard times in our life, I pictured as like, you know, if you're, have you've ever been out in the ocean or like for me, Lake Michigan growing up and that there's like rip tides. And sometimes these waves would be coming and they'd be coming over your head and there's a current under you pulling. And I remember my dad always telling us, if you guys get caught in one of those, don't fight it. Don't fight against those waves and that, that current, like flow with it, surrender to it basically and go with it. And you know, I found that to be true in my life as well. And in my marriage is when I'm trying to fight against what's happening and control it and fix it and do everything within my own power. I only end up more exhausted and more defeated and further from my outcome. You know, like when you're out in that ocean and you're getting farther away from where you're swimming and you're swimming and you're trying to get there and you're getting further away. But if I would have just surrendered and let go, then I would have been pulled right to that safe spot where I can anchor in. And I think, you know, that's where I'm learning the most that the best place that I can be is fully surrendered at Jesus feet. And because like you said as well, he knows the beginning and the end. He's the alpha and omega. He knows the beginning and the end. We only see through this tiny peephole lens. We don't, we, we just have the small little perspective of here right now. And, and he knows the beginning and the end. And so he often works in mysterious ways that we don't know, but that's because he knows the ending. And he knows the greater purpose of each of our story and of the whole entire world. And so trusting in a sovereign and good God, even when your circumstances are not good or your feelings are not good, like he, it doesn't change his character. That's Um, right. Yeah. And I, it's funny because I just had a conversation with my dad. We were remembering some different events 
And one was where my sister and I got caught up in a riptide. And I remembered to float kind of on top and stay kind of on the surface. And my sister, I think we were maybe 14 and 16 at the time, and she was getting swept away. And my dad had to dive in and go get her. And, you know, God often does that and he rescues us from ourselves, but we do still end up more exhausted, out of breath, tired, worn down than if we would have just surrendered it earlier. And so I think he's such a good God to still come in and get us out. If only we would learn the lesson earlier and um, again, to not get swept away and to anchor in sooner, but also just knowing that he is a good, consistent, faithful God who will pull us out from there. It's just funny that you use the same analogy. I just had a conversation. That is funny. So the kind of the last piece I want to focus on is something you mentioned earlier when you said nobody knew. I think it's something many people relate to, especially in church settings, unfortunately, is when you walk in with um, the I'm fine look and the smiles and the, the surface level answers to people and you don't let people in. For our story, isolation was a huge key in or piece to kind of us just falling apart. So how do you how do you do things differently now as far as community, uh, transparency, vulnerability, accountability, all of that that helps you not go back to that point of nobody knew? Right. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that's really big is we each have our own um, accountability partners and 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 in recovery you have a sponsor as well. And so and that's not each other. You know, as much as we are married and we share everything, like if Josh is struggling with, let's say, pornography or something, I don't necessarily want to know every single time. Like, like that is only going to turn me into panic mode and worry. As long as I know that he's seeking the Lord, if he's had a relapse, like something going on, I know that he is checking in with his sponsor. And I know that he has accountability partners that are helping him and are asking him the tough questions and holding him accountable. And that shouldn't, in my opinion, I don't want that to be me because I did that for so long. And all I felt like was his mother, not his wife. Mm-hmm. I felt, you know, and that's, that's not a, a way that I want to have a marriage relationship. It's not what it's intended to be. And so I trust that I trust in his faith in God more than his desire to please me. As yeah. long as I can see that he is, you know, seeking the Lord, he's a flesh and blood. He's going to make, make mistakes, but I know that his heart is to glorify the Lord. And so he's going to come to me if there's something that he did that I need to know that I need to know about. But short of that, his, he's got sponsors and accountability partners that he checks in with daily. And I do too. And so I'm not going to sit there and be the nagging wife that he talks about in Proverbs mm-hmm. and constantly complain to him about everything going, you know, like, I want us to be able to enjoy each other's company, come together and enjoy. Not that we can't talk about hard things because we do, but I also have other people to do that. So it's not each other all the time. So that's one thing I think is important for couples to have other people that they can kind of vent to. So it's not just each other all the time. And then I think just open communication and transparency, just being able to, if I have um, an issue that I can just come to Josh and the way that we talk to each other about things now is a lot different than how we used to. It used to be more of you did this and it's you, you, and now it's more of 
when you said this or when you did this, it really impacted me this way or made me feel this way. Or I was triggered when this happened. And I know, you know, we, we've learned through recovery, like what things are our responsibility and what things are some, his responsibility, you know, or my responsibility. So we're not blaming each other. We're kind of taking more ownership for our own things. And that comes with time. That doesn't happen overnight. That, you know, comes with time and working the program and uh, working with each other, realizing that we're a team. We're, we're not enemies. He's not my enemy. We have an enemy, a common en- enemy. And so we need to unite together and not fight each other because that's like the enemy's back there clapping and how, you know, he's cheering us on when, when we're in that mode. And we don't want that, you know, so, so recognizing who your real enemy is and, and learning how to communicate with each other, learning how to set healthy boundaries because you've communicated with each other and talked about the hard things. And you know, um, when he does this, it makes me feel this way. When you do this, it may, you know, we know that about each other. So we have some boundaries in place and then having accountability partners outside of each other. I think those things have really helped our marriage probably the most in maintaining a healthy, um, a healthy communication. Yeah. 100% agree. And, um, I have gotten a few messages from some listeners recently about being in really, really tough spots in their marriage and some even separated. So what maybe is one thing you can leave them with that if they're separated, sitting, you know, in a, an apartment or some, somewhere else other than in the home with their husband, or they're almost, they're, they just feel like it's something that's about to crack. What's something that you can encourage the wife to do? differently. Cause so many of the questions that I get are, what should I hope for? What should I do? Should I work towards reconciliation? Should I be doing this or that? What is one thing that you can sort of encourage her to do? Yeah. What I say, cause I have similar uh, conversations with lots of women as well, Lydia. And um, one thing that I always tell these ladies is is you need to have a strong relationship with the Lord. First and foremost, if you're going to have any sort of discernment and wisdom to know the the next right step for you, regardless of what your husband does it, I truly believe we should always be seeking reunification. Mm -hmm. Um, Like divorce, you know, should, should maybe be the last thing, not that it can't happen. I mean, there's times when, when you need to, honestly, you know, there are times when it's just very toxic and the other person's heart is just hardened or they, they're physically abusive, or they just won't stop the behaviors of infidelity or, you know, and you have to. Right. But I think that you should always be um, pursuing reunification in the, in the marriage. If the other person is willing to try that, you should forgive and try to move forward in that. Um, But I always tell women, like, you know, you can't make them do anything right. We've kind of talked about that already. So since we can't control other people's behaviors and we can't make our spouse Uh, respond in the way that we want them to all the time. We can ourselves. So what I want you to focus on right now in this time is, is you drawing closer to the Lord. And I always encourage people to go to a Celebrate Recovery meeting. You can find them in your area. If you go to CelebrateRecovery.com and enter your zip code, they're all over in 35,000 churches. And you can just show up and you start working on you you know, what, what do you need? Um, where do you need the Lord to minister to your heart? How do you need to draw closer to him? What bad habits or character defects do you have that you can be working on? Um, so that no matter what your spouse 
ends up doing, you're going to be in a much better place. So if they end up getting better and you, you get back together, praise God, you're going to be in a much healthier place to help be, you know, restoring that marriage. Uh, Or if they don't get better and they choose to leave, or you have to end up following through with the divorce, Mm -hmm. you're still going to be in a much better place to be able to um, handle all the stuff that goes along with that. And if you have children, like take care of your children and pour into them and move forward, move on with your life and what God has for you. Um, So either way, it just starts with drawing close to the Lord. And I think recovery is a great way, one way, it's not the only way, but it's one great way to do that and focus on fixing yourself and getting what you need so that no matter what they decide, you're in a better place. That's excellent because I think focusing on our own healing and wholeness is what it's all about. And, you know, in order to handle anything that comes your way, whether it's separation or even just reconciliation, that's not a walk in the park. Let me tell you. So (laughs) focusing on your own healing is going to make you a better teammate or just if you are an individual, single or divorced, it's going to help you walk in obedience to the Lord and honor him with all your actions and your thoughts. So that's great. And I I honestly hope that any of you listening hear our stories of hope and redemption and hear even the similarities that God isn't just doing this to one person's story over here. He's doing it here and there and here and there. And it's the same God and he's faithful. And so if you're clinging on by thread, hear our stories of hope and redemption and find that same healing and wholeness through the same steps that we've taken. And Katie, I just thank you so much for sharing your heart in your difficult moments, um, as well as the hype moments as well. And I just admire you so much for what you've walked through and how willing you are to share, even though I know it's not easy. So thank you just for bringing that to the JAR podcast audience and tell them where they can find you um, and how they can follow your journey. Yes. Well, again, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. And I do love any opportunity I get to speak into women's lives, especially that are hurting and in those situations, because I remember the hopeless feeling. Um, I remember that feeling like this is never, you know, going to get fixed. There's no way Josh is ever going to be restored. Our marriages, you know, I never would have imagined that we would be leading a ministry together, serving in ministry together and helping other married couples like what? No way. And, but that is how um, big our God is. And he is able to restore any marriage. So yes, if you're listening and you feel 100% hopeless, I can't give you a guarantee, but I can tell you that our God is able to restore and heal your marriage no matter where it's at right now. But even if he doesn't, even because he doesn't control us, he gives us free will. So even if the other person doesn't, he has a plan for you and it's good and perfect. And he will use every single part of your story, every hurt, every trial and every hardship that you've been through um, to help you heal and move forward. And you'll be pouring into other women someday. Um, So be encouraged with that. And you can hear more about our story and recovery um, on anchoredinalways.com is my new website. And, um, And there's links in there to celebrate recovery, as well as links to my podcast. So you can maybe if you're interested in hearing more about Josh and my um, story and our testimony. That's all there in the earlier episodes of my podcast. So you can check that out. Awesome. Thank you, Katie. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 15. 
All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. I'll see you next Saturday, same time, same place.